What is Olayla even doing? Hello, and welcome to another edition of the How to Play Quidditch podcast. I'm your host, Alejo Enriquez. I'm very excited today to have a conversation about uh, growing the sport of Quidditch, which is uh, basically one of my one of my life's works, really. Um, the sport of Quidditch is it, there's not a building, you know, or a single person or anything. A sport, like many other things, is an idea that lives in the people that play the sport, that care about the sport, that that watch the games and play in the games. And the best way to grow the sport is to just get more people interested. It's just a numbers game at some level, you know. Every time you have a person, you know, like, you know, get interested, you never know what they could bring to it. If they like to play or if they're a good player or if they're a videographer, a photographer, a web designer, you never know. And so we, all of us who benefit from the sport of Quidditch, should be excited to have new people join uh, Quidditch, basically join the Quidditch community and join the Quidditch, um, the sport. Um, and one of the best ways to help the sport grow is by having college teams that are successful because college teams ha- college teams are really an ideal recruiting tool. There's all these uh, young, healthy, hopefully 18-year-olds who are ready to start a new life and they've got at least a little disposable income, most of them, and they've got you know, four years to sink into their education and make something of themselves. This is an ideal uh, location to to find new people who want, who are ready to become something part of something bigger. I'm not saying every college student is an ideal member of the Quidditch community, but we will find many ideal members of the Quidditch community in these college students. Unfortunately, sometimes college programs, you know, because you have that four year turnaround and then you lose people. And also, if if it just ceases to be an attractive, you know, uh, thing for people to spend time and money on, there's lots of other things to also do in college. So people all the time, you know, college programs actually die sometimes. I know for a fact that Rice used to have a Quidditch program and they don't have one right now, which is a shame. And that's just one example of many. Uh, and so I want to have a conversation today uh, about how to keep college programs strong, how to help them, but not necessarily just from the perspective of of how to be a college Quidditch program manager and, and run a team. Uh, I do want to spend some time talking about how to better run a team, uh, but that's not a conversation for today. Instead, I want to focus on people who have graduated uh, because when you graduate, you take a lot of resources with you because these are people who are uh, referees, coaches, snitches, uh, star players, and yes, it's true that that you do have to make room for other people to step up and become the next generation of leadership. But how do we best facilitate that? How do we, when we graduate and move on, uh, is there are there ways that we can help continue these college programs? Because these college programs are one of the best recruiting tools that the Quidditch community really has. And I'm very lucky today to be joined by not one, but two guests who are very passionate about this subject. So I'm going to start by introducing my first guest. She is the founder and current co-commissioner of the NorCal Quidditch Conference. She is a graduate of San Jose State Spartan Quidditch and their current coach. She is the manager of the San Francisco Argonauts, and she's the current manager and beater for the Silicon Valley Scroots. She is Elizabeth Barcelos. Shame. Shame, 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 shame.
My other guest is a graduate of University of Maryland, two-time Team USA player, and currently a chaser and seeker for Quidditch Club Boston. He is Harry Greenhouse. Hey guys, thanks for coming on the show with me. No problem. Thanks for having me. Oh, my pleasure. All right. So uh, for new listeners who aren't familiar with the podcast, I like to always open up with uh, some personal questions on uh, uh, the history of Quidditch and what uh, my guests have been through. And only ever had one guest at a time, so I'm very excited to have two at once. Um, just uh, to go alphabetically, we'll start with Liz first. So Liz, what would you say was a, a, a moment of personal triumph for you in Quidditch? So this is kind of a hard question for me because the things I'm most proud of in Quidditch were group achievements. Like I've been an organizer of things. I've been a manager for teams. Um, But I think for like me as a player, um, this past spring in Arizona when the Scroots qualified for West Regionals, yeah, the Scroots qualified for the sixth time. Like it was an expectation the team had, but I had never qualified for nationals in person before. I'd only played at what was then called World Cup 7, and I got in on a deferred bid with San Jose State. Mm -hmm. So when we beat NAU the second time, and it hit me that I was going to go as a player, especially considering that I had kind of taken a hiatus earlier in the year, thinking I was just going to be done with Quidditch, to be not just back, but going to nationals, I I ugly cried on the pitch. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So that's, I think, my most personal triumph in Quidditch. That's great. Yes, for, for those who don't know, Liz, she uh, uh, did retire and then later on retired. I don't retired. like that word. Well, I think we need to retire the word retired. Well, okay, at the time it was a retirement. Uh, retro, <laughs> ret- what would you retroactively say it was? I took a hiatus. I needed a break. Okay, well, that's fair. All right. Okay, you took a permanent that became temporary hiatus. All right, I respect there that. Yes. Um, we should probably at some point get into discussion about what what is and is not a retirement, if whether the word retired should be re- retired. So I'll have, to <laughs> I'll have to find some time to talk about them. All right. Uh, <laughs> okay, here. Sorry. Retirement means you do not play. That's just what it is. Yeah, but then but then if you're if you retire from if you retire from playing but you still coach. That's different from if you retire or you're still from really playing involved, coaching. Or you're still shit posting at the IQA forums. Like I don't. <laughs> it doesn't mean it, retirement has to do with playing. Who cares if you're still involved? To me, so retirement is a playing thing. If you retire, you are no longer playing. Yeah, I, I think I I respect that view. I think someone could hold a different rational view. That uh, I don't know. I I've not anywhere near retirement myself, so I haven't given that any thought. But uh, that definitely makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> that's how all sports work. No, it's, that is true. You, that's true. Usually, in most sports, even when players retire from playing, they still come back as coaches or scouts or things like that. So, you don't want if, if, this is too super sidetracked. But you don't want people to completely leave the sport when they retire. The whole point is that you want them to still be fans and to still want to watch and to still want to be part of the sport. Yeah, yeah. They don't have to. I completely. That. But, but I think the way. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Like, like the whole way... point is, it, it helps build a fan base. Mm. Yeah, 
I just think the way Quidditch uses the word retired is like a I'm cut off sort of thing. I'm I done. Yes, I agree. It doesn't, like other sports, you know, you can retire and still do other things. But I think the way it's been used in Quidditch is a like, I'm done now. Um, and that's what I think we need to get rid of. The way it's been used in Quidditch is, look at me, look at me. I'm not doing anything right now. I'm posting online. That's what retirement means in Quidditch right now. It's not really someone retiring. It's someone who wants attention. Well, I think that... Having done that, because I wanted to prove a point that is 100% the truth. I made a big stink about it because I was upset. And I needed people to know why I was upset. But this is not a retirement podcast. Next question. Go ask her. <laughs> Fair, fair enough. I, I, burnout is a real thing. We should definitely get into that another time too. I love sidetracking, by the way. It's good times. Uh, <laughs> Harry, what would you say would be the most epic thing you've witnessed um, watching Quidditch and not participating in directly? I watched the Texas UCLA game at the Sixth Nationals, which I guess you call World Cup Six. Mm-hmm. That was the real game that I think changed where the sport has gone. Really? How so? Well, that was the game. That was the ultimate Texas team versus the ultimate UCLA team, which is the reason why Lone Star exists. It's the reason why Cavalry exists. It's the reason why Lost Boys exists. You can make an argument. It's the reason why Gambits exists. Literally, this is the game with the two two of arguably the best teams to ever play the sport. Wow! Or playing at the same time. This is World Cup. You know, the, you know, the seventh one, World Cup seven, when State played Texas. Wow, good. It didn't live up in comparison because there was just such a level that this UT team and this UCLA team were on. It was actually frightening. And we're talking, this was a UT team that had Cody Marshall at the top of his game, Chris Morris, Augie Monroe, Stevie Bell, well, Jacob Adlis, Colin Capella, Lauren Carter, Hope McCullough, Audrey Wright, Sarah Holub, and Aryan Gadasi, like freaking every single UT type person that you could think of mm-hmm. from them was on the same at the exact same time and they were crazy good. Yeah. And then this was Kenny Chilton. How did I forget Kenny? And then UCLA, this was Vanessa Go, Missy Spinagle, oh, Zach Luce, who's Brandon Scappa, and like 14 other chasers for them. This is like, these were the two best teams you could think of. Mm-hmm. all playing at the same time that ended up having like huge legacies afterward as well. Yeah. And they just were incredible. And this was, I, this to me was the game that truly started Quidditch on that path that like, cause the sixth one World Cup six was the, the championship that really made Quidditch into not just like just a bigger situation than it was. Just, it just, it, it elevated the sport. Mm-hmm. And, no other championship has really elevated it as much as that one did. It to me, that's when the true Quidditch truly changed. Quidditch became a full fledged, you know, incredibly intense competitive game away from, you know, the Middlebury years where it was, you know, you still had those aspects of old. This was the beginning of the modern era. So, so you would say that was kind of an inflection point on. Going more, I, I guess there's a dichotomy. I don't know how exaggerated or not it, it is or not in some people's minds between the whimsy and the athlete or sport sides of Quidditch. Yeah, you would this, say this was the, the major difference between it. This was, mm-hmm. in essence, is the changing of the guard and the true acclimation and cultivation of the athletic side of Quidditch. And this championship was the true cultivation of that taking over, and it was the 
beginning of that modern era of Quidditch, of what we know Quidditch as now mm-hmm. as just an athletic sport and very much almost nothing to do with Harry Potter. Because <laughs> I'm counting on my fingers now. I think around then is when I started playing Quidditch. And and I would definitely say that I, I believe you when you say that, and that would make sense because my experience with Quidditch has always been of it as a sport, a serious sport. Like, I mean, people who hear it, they're like, oh, cool, you know, like, they want to, like, you know, wear a cape or a broom or something, but, like, the culture of Quidditch, as long as I've been in it, has always been, this is a sport, and I actually feel very comfortable, always have felt comfortable in Quidditch practice, because it harkens back to my days in martial arts training, like, Mm -hmm. you know, which is, it's treated the same way, here's your techniques, here's your fundamentals, here's what you develop off of that, and here's your applications, like, and I run practice that way, and we all uh, in Victoria Quidditch all buy in to it as a pursuit to to master because we're going to go out and get rolled by other Texas teams if we don't. So, yeah, that makes yeah. a lot of I sense. Started playing, I started playing the fall after World Cup 6, and I think it may have taken a while for the whimsy to go away. Like, I don't think that game shut it down because I, I started playing Quidditch. Whimsy's gone, to be fair. Yeah. I think yeah. it's still a whimsical element in certain aspects of it, but... It, it was the changing of every team is going to be competitive and every team is going to play in that certain level or, or you're not going to play USQ. Yeah, <laughs> I I joined Quidditch because I was like, oh, I like Harry Potter, but I stayed in Quidditch because I appreciated the athletic aspect. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense, definitely. Um, yeah, because a lot of those names you mentioned, I know them now as, I, I recognize them as uh, on the UT side as from UT, but... Those are familiar names. Some of them are on Cavalry. Some of them are on Lone Star, you know, and uh, I don't know the details of how all that went down, but I definitely know that Cody Marshall was an integral part of starting up Lone Star after he graduated, which must have been, I guess, was that after World Cup 6? Yes, okay. I believe so. Got it. Yeah, and I remember he joined with some A&M players, which I guess at the time must have been a big deal. Like now we think of Molly Lensing, Eric Woolroth, Stevie Bell, Cody Marshall is like, oh yeah, they're on Lone Star. But at the time, it must have been strange because a UT and A and M had a rivalry. Stevie was a UT guy. Will Roth didn't join the team until eight. Oh, okay. I don't even think Lensing was on the team until eight. It mm-hmm. it was mostly a UT and friends graduation team. Oh, okay. When it originally, and then they slowly started adding pieces from just old teams because Cavalry didn't exist at that point, and Augie was still playing for. Um, he was still playing for UT, yeah. and so you had this separation there of just like the graduates of UT, which slowly became, they were really the only community team of significance in Texas, so it was the graduates pretty much everywhere would go to Lone Star, which was mostly like UT, and you know then A&M started taking, and then they took a big portion of A&M the next year, yeah. and that's Drewski graduated after seven, and then they again just took from all and then eventually for nine in the ninth national championship that was Calvary um, Calvary was, yeah Calvary yeah. formed because UT left because he uh, he was done with UT and he had a big group that he grew up he sort of like fostered and grew up with at yeah. UT that was also graduating at the same time and so he took them on and so it then became and then he had like the state graduates mm-hmm. joined him as well so it's like this differences and gaps and differences of like who had who at what certain times yeah. and what players were. And and that's and that makes perfect sense to me. That not that I knew any of that. Well, I knew pieces of it, but like 
that ultimately joining a team and so forth is a very human decision. It's where, you know, it's, it's almost funny to like, to think about from outside, but it should make perfect sense. We, we make our decisions based on what we're comfortable with, who we're comfortable with. We visualize when there's all these unknowns. So absolutely. And it's hard to join a team that you would consider a rival for a lot. Like there was a time where I, I wanted nothing more to beat the scroots and there are still moments from bottom the team I wanted to beat. Um, but I think that'll be less and less of an issue as like the community college split continues to well split. I mean, the split is the mo- is arguably very important for the sport just because it allows college teams to just be college teams. Yeah, yeah. there's such a discrepancy between the skill levels. The West is slightly different because of the amount of community teams. Yeah, and just how many actual elite community teams there are since like you don't have as many major just the whole cities because like silicon valley has like freaking five. Oh yeah so <laughs> no, we have two now we have boiled down to an appropriate oh, wow, number really? like san jose by itself yeah no it's the silicon valley scroots and the vipers the dobbies are in the east bay so they're their own thing okay. everybody kind of forgets how big the bay area is uh, i i've just given you shit for this one <laughs> Me. NorCal, I ran this conference. I'm running it again. I know about our, our team numbers. No, I, you know what I mean, though. It's just like the yeah. difference of like your cities. It waters were, like, down the talent pool. Yeah, it does. Are the, so the Blazers are not coming back this year? Did they go to the Scroots and Vibers? I have not heard this. Did not to be official this year. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's the Vipers, the Scroots, and the Dobbies in NorCal for community teams. Okay. <laughs> more on that in the west coast bias podcast i'm sure at some point yep. <laughs> <laughs> all right uh, third question liz who is someone in the quidditch community that who, who you look up to so um you've actually had a lot of people i admire on as someone who's been a td like the stuff beth peevler does blows my mind she's a great she's amazing um Kevin is a volunteer, someone I looked up to. But if I had to name one person right now, it would probably be Andrew Koval. Um, He's not as big a name. But for those of you that don't know him, he's the Scroots coach, and he was also the Argonauts coach last summer. And he went from being a rival to my teammate and my coach. And I really admire him as a coach. That's why I picked him. This is my first year coaching. It's not something I ever expected to do. And honestly, when I was talking to San Jose State's president about like, they're like, Liz, oh, what's your coaching philosophy? I'm like, I want to be, pretend to be the best version of Andrew I can be. He has a really good grasp of the sport and like strategy. And like he brings his like soccer background, but he's also learned a lot about Quidditch. But he's also really good at taking a player and making them the best version of themselves. And that's why I've really enjoyed having him as a coach. That's why I decided to play for the Scroots. And that's what I want to do for my players who are just coming in and learning about Quidditch for the first time. I want to make them the best version of themselves. Because some people are more athletically inclined than others. Some people just are more athletic. But you can still take someone who's okay and make them better. And that keeps them invested in the sport. And I, I just want to do that for my Spartans. And that just means pretending to be Andrew. That's a good. That's a good answer. I do like. I have worked with Andrew before. He definitely is a good coach. I, when I visited um, San Jose um, back in the, whenever that was, back in the spring, I, I went to the SJSU practice, and he was there, and 
that was fun and you know that was good yeah he's a good coach definitely good answer i like that all right thank you harry who is someone who you uh, look up to in the quidditch community uh, ethan Sturm. that's a good answer do you want to tell us a little bit of why <laughs> Uh, he's objectively, in my opinion, the most honest person in the community. He doesn't really frighten much about what people think about him and about what he's saying. He know, he does his research. He knows he's right because he is right. And then he's willing to – and if he isn't, he's willing to take the opinion on it when it's not. But he's honest, and he's not scared of what people think of that honesty. And I think that's a lot to be said. He's also – to me, the only true, one of the only few big time coaches that I feel like has taken me as a, when I, he coached me, has taken me as a player and been willing to work with what I am as a player rather than try to change completely me and then work mm-hmm. to better me rather than to try to change the player I am and build a system around me. And I think he, what he did to help break me even to a further and further me and better me as a player and just he's good person and good friend I love the guy so <laughs> excellent uh, that's a good answer i i do want to get ethan on the the podcast sometime and hear some of his thoughts too but i know he's really busy so and i don't think he knows much about who i am so you know i'll just keep aiming for the stars you know <laughs> it's a good answer <laughs> hey man i'm just happy i got michael duquette on the show you know <laughs> all right all right um Okay, great. Good answers, guys. I really appreciate it. And hopefully our listeners kind of now have a little little insight into our thoughts and a little bit of a sneak preview from some of our answers as to where we're going next. All right, so uh, as, uh, as those who know either Harry or Liz are, are aware, um, both of them are very passionate advocates for the Quidditch community and especially have been very supportive of their uh, alma maters, their, the college teams, that found that introduced them to the sport of Quidditch and brought them into this community. So I kind of want to open the floor to you guys a little bit because I feel like maybe you have somewhat different experiences, but similar uh, means and goals. Um, what is it that uh, you want to talk about with supporting college teams, uh, especially maybe in specific cases your alma maters, but uh, but in general, you know, just supporting your college teams. So the biggest thing is, you know, the college teams are at a young, or we're looking at young people from 18 to 22, generally trying to run programs and try to do a lot of things on their own. And so the biggest thing is trying to find ways to get support for these people and to get support for these teams. And so that's the, the most important thing. And so it's not just, for me, it's not just my alma mater in Maryland mm-hmm. because I have a lot of confidence in what they're able to do from the lessons they've learned from over the years from the people who pass it down. But it's getting it to all teams and like what we can give every team out there the resources that they need to be successful. And I think there's a decent amount of, that we need, that each team needs to know how to do. And from my opinion, you know, the goal is to make sure that these teams are they're healthy, they're stable, they're functioning, they're able to send rosters to games, they're able to be competitive and and they're able to function. Yeah, yeah that's so I didn't found my team, um, but I knew the people who founded my team. Um, now there are very few people and they're all seniors that know the people who founded San Jose State Quidditch. So very soon this will be a team that exists without its founders. 
which I think is a level of success. Like if your team can outlast the people that started it, like you've made something sustainable, great. Um, but unfortunately, uh, so in the Bay Area, the three main college teams are San Jose State, Stanford, and Cal. And those are teams that existed in the like whimsy area and kind of grew up with Quidditch. So as the requirements to be an official team have become higher, um, they've grown up with it, so it's okay. But I've seen other Northern California teams like the University of the Pacific and like Humboldt State like try and join Quidditch, but the bar was so high that I tried setting up a conference in a way that worked like a mini USQ. So if they weren't ready yet, they could get ready and it didn't work. And both of those schools, so far as I know, don't have any players right now. I know a couple students at those schools who were on those teams, but I haven't heard from them. Uh, Sacramento State is starting up a team and they're working on being a club sport and they came to a, a tournament last fall. And so, or last spring, sorry. And I'm just really dedicated to like figuring out what went wrong with those other NorCal college teams and giving them the tools to succeed. Um, I want San Jose State to do well. We've been a team that's kind of hung out in mid-tier, not quite the team that qualifies every year like a UCLA or an ASU, but we're also not the worst either. And I want to figure out, well, how am I going to get this team to break that barrier? Because I know when I went to World Cup 7, it opened my eyes and it made me really invested, not just in my team, but in being involved in Quidditch in general. And I know if I can push this team, there are people on that team who may become really strong volunteers or referees someday. But if they don't ever go to nationals and it's something they see that it's completely out of their hands forever, they're gonna like grow disenchanted and stop playing. So I think on the one hand, so I think in addition to like growing a team, like trying to figure out how to get a team to that next step is where I think a lot of college teams founder. I think I, I, I agree that I think we need to try to find ways to get teams to that next step. But the one thing I do agree, like college teams getting to nationals is such an accomplishment and such a big thing that like you just see more of it, which is why I, one of the reasons why I'm a huge opponent of the split is just like more college teams going to nationals is a good thing because getting competed nationals is an experience that you don't ex that you just you don't get anywhere else. And so it's such an amazing thing to have. It's really hard to describe other than just you get more you get more teams that you've never thought about playing it's a great thing to use for your university and it just it just it it gives you a cultivation of what your season is that you have a lot of great things from it i do think though no matter what happens you know the whole goal is for us to expand college quidditch a ton of teams and and I'm talking about a ton of teams who don't qualify, just why things like Constellation Cup made by Beth people are amazing because mm -hmm. you can use that as sort of like an NIT tournament for the teams who don't make it. Like it's going to be like the goal, I think, for it to mm -hmm. develop college teams enough that we have tons of teams who don't make nationals, which while that sucks for all those teams who don't, it still means the sport has a huge, vast number of college teams. And I think, the goals moving forward need to be about expanding the college programs to new schools, getting new college programs to become sustainable, and especially getting the the larger college programs since they're very frequently very easily sustainable when you are at a large school yeah. and just small programs as well. But also making sure that programs that are stable and programs that are 
or supposedly stable, supposed programs that have been around for a few years that should be able to function still are getting the resources that they need. Because, you know, what we're relying on is resources being passed down by generations and you miss things in that and things get lost in the shuffle. And so we still need to make sure that these teams, just from a team basis, like from an individual team basis, have resources that they can use, whether that be recruiting, financial, working with universities, working with USQ, dealing with being able to refs, be coaching advice, anything, yeah. literally anything and everything that you can think of to make a team function and succeed and keep it stable, not even competitively stable, but just stable in and of itself is needed for these teams. Yeah, and I think we yeah. probably should get a little more specific when you say resources because you're absolutely right. There's just a vast array of different things that someone basically someone has to know how to do something like and and there's the financial there's the recruiting the usq side we should get a little more specific on what the different things are that a, a college team maybe is a barrier to entry like what liz was talking about like what would you say are some of the key resources that that we should be uh helping bring to these college teams to help them actually get off the ground and stay off the ground well, I'll let Harry talk about recruiting first because he's better than that. Oh, are, we, are, we, are we talking about teams that don't exist at the moment and what keeps them from becoming teams? Or are we talking about teams that are existing as of now and what they're needing to exist further? That's an interesting because there's a difference, in my opinion. I think it's kind of hard to walk into a camp. Like, for example, like I've really wanted Santa Clara University to have a Quidditch team because they are down the road from San Jose state and they are super close to us. And that would be great, but I can't walk in there and like spread the gospel of St. Quidditch to the private school. Like they look at me like a crazy person. It, it, it's tough to do when you're not affiliated, but we've actually like seen success from people who literally just attend the university or who just go to university and start up a team. Uh, mm-hmm. Curtis Taylor did it at Creighton university recently. Um, he, Jay- Jamie Luby did. Helped a lot. Yeah, he which is huge. Oh yeah. Jamie Luby with Jamie Luby went to UC Irvine and started a team there. Now Anna your Quidditch is a bigger team. Um, Jamie Noble was a former British Quidditch player. Actually, finally got the University of Wisconsin's Quidditch team started up, which is huge in my opinion because wow, that's yeah. a gigantic yeah. team. Um, and it's just like things like that. And then the other things that are really important is when we have teams that like pop up those like unofficial little teams, mm-hmm. it's don't let them fall apart. We got to make sure that they get everything they need to be stable, which is yeah. goes back to my point on resources. Like if anything, like we can't physically control how the program runs. We can't control how the people react and who they get and who they don't get. I, you know, I can't control a team getting athletes, tons of athletes yeah. to be a qualifying team. What I can help with is getting resources that they need whether it's here's how you recruit this is what has been proven successful for this type of university here's how you handle finances it's been proven successful here's how you deal with universities it's been proven successful here's how you deal with usq it's been proven successful here's how you find a way to get games it's been proven successful that's what these literally not just teams are starting up but all teams need literally every team in college needs because we're not talking about older players who know this shit, you know, but like the back of their hand, we're talking about, we're talking about 18 to 22 year olds, people who are either, you know, a couple years into the sport who've either been around maybe two years, if they're lucky, 
or who have literally never done this before in their life and they're basically figuring out life. Like when I was in college, I had no idea how to, I was barely functioning as a human being, let alone <laughs> as someone who could lead a team. And that's, that's handling both is hard thing to do. So like if we have such an abundant group of community players that we can build this resources, we can at least give these teams something to tangibly use that no one else is giving them. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, that's, I was not a typical college student. I was a 25-year-old junior when I started playing, so I think I had my head screwed on tighter than your typical college student. And something I was working on when I graduated was this idea of a Bible, like, as in, this is San Jose State Quidditch, and this is how it works. This is what the officers do. This is how club sports works. It's something I never finished, and I'm kicking myself for it now because now that I'm back on the team as their coach after being off it for a year... I wasn't on the team for one year and there's already like some lost institutional knowledge and some things have changed and I think they've been changes for the better. But if you just graduate and move on and don't like leave your house in order, you might turn around and your team may not be there anymore or it may be poorly run. And I think this idea of like putting together a template of how like most Quidditch teams work and then every team may be tweaking it for theirs because my school's club sports works one way. Stanford, on the other hand, isn't a club sport and gets all these resources. Cal has had different club sports problems. But if there was, like, a template and then it was every school personalized their own, I think that would be so useful because then you pass that down. Well, I think it's also a template and a point of contact mm-hmm. these teams can talk to. You know, one of the reasons why I think the regional director position has is is important and why it's yeah. kind of unfortunate that it's – I don't know if, how – well, it's still working in that way is that this should be the person that you're talking to that college teams are able to be like, how the hell do I do this? Or how the hell do I do that? And they can go, this is how you do it. Like having points of contact for these teams to be like, I don't know what I'm doing with this. Who can I contact to help me? And then if there's some type of resource place, some type of group of people who are going to help you, this is the people that you can go, this is what you do. And that's how it works. And I don't think the league currently has that type of thing all the time. I know when I was a regional coordinator, that was a lot of what I did. And now that I just do a conference in NorCal, I don't do that for the whole West anymore. But I do still do that for NorCal teams when I can. Like, Cal asks me for things. But I think I, I think the regional coordinators still do that. I mean, I hope they do. I don't think the job has changed that much. No, but I, that's the thing is I have no idea. And I'm not sure. And, I, you know, the teams, the small teams that I've contacted – when I'm still hearing that they don't really know, you know, they're struggling with recruiting still, they're struggling with numbers, or they're struggling with finances, and they need help with things. You know, why are, what, what, you know, where are things coming that can actually help these kids? Yeah. Hmm. I think with so the regional coordinator should... job, it it is what the particular RC makes it. Like, Evan was a different RC than me. Jess is a different RC than me. Um, and we all have different ways of handling things. And because like the job description is pretty vague and I think they should be that contact person, but, um, everybody does the job differently. Like when I was doing like regional, like sign up time where you had to have your seven people, whatever, like I was posting in the West group every day. Um, but I had captains telling me this year that Jess was messaging them individually. And so like the job is kind of vague and I almost don't know if I can blame those volunteers because I know for me at least I made that job yeah I made that job into what I decided it should be well let's 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 go ahead Harry 
And that's the thing, though, is like I'm not doubting the regional coordinators are doing their job. I'm just saying if we have people who aren't just the regional coordinators, it's just like a group of people who can be points of contact who we can be seen as experts on certain qualities about helping college teams. Like this person is, you know, you contact this person on recruiting or you contact this person on handling with finances because, you know, there are, as you can take the best regional coordinator in the world. There's still going to be some out there who's probably better at one of these things. That's just kind of how the world works. Like, I'm sure you can have, I, I'm sure the regional coordinators are fantastic. What I'm saying is if the region, even if they contact the regional coordinator, you want to get in contact with the person who knows that topic through and through. But they're, they're not a specialist in everything. Yes, absolutely. You know, That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Is, you know, we want that point of contact to be, who can you contact who's a specialist in this situation? You know, yeah. who can I contact to be like, how do I get better at recruiting? How do I get better at finance? How do I get paid around retaining players? How do I get better at handling USQ, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera? Yeah. Well, well, let's try and get organized a little bit because I think that I think that definitely if there's a college team that maybe you've had some success, but now it's graduated some seniors and it's now teetering on the precipice, the 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 previous you know, like VP is now the president and they realizes like that they weren't doing the majority of the things that the team needed done and now they have to do them. And of course, they can always try and hassle their former graduated president, but that president may now suddenly be on another team doing other things, you know, that can be a burden. So what, what are the kind of different things? Because you've listed a few things, but I don't know if we've gone through it in, in detail. I think recruiting probably is one of the key things that mm-hmm. that that uh absolutely we want we want our college teams to be recruiting we want them to be you know because that's where we get new people coming into quidditch we have ready access to 20 year olds with a substantial amount of time and at least a little disposable income hopefully so which is what the delegation it's so it's so important if you have like one cat one president doing all the work and one captain doing all the coaching when that person graduates they didn't make a chain of command. There's no like way to rise up. The best teams, the way I've seen them organized is they have, yeah, they have a president, but then maybe they have a chair for recruiting or a social chair. When you delegate lots of things, first of all, you can do more things more effectively. But then second, that's how you groom. Um, like you have one. That's how I think college teams should be. I think you hear so much about one officer trying to do so much, but then you look at programs like Texas state where like they have someone who just does social media and like, that's a dang luxury. I wish like I had enough people to delegate stuff to, to do that. I, mean, but I think if you delegate, then it helps. hundred percent. hundred percent that you need to delegate and you need to make sure that there are multiple leaders involved and that it's not just one person handling everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and of course, especially because you know things happen, people get sick, you know, <laughs> people suddenly have to move away, you know, like you're gonna have a family emergency, and all of a sudden you're not there for the week before the tournament, and all of a sudden you, know, it's like, wait, we had to submit our roster. What do you mean, you know, <laughs> like, yeah. and so you know, if you're listening to this and you have a position of authority on a Quidditch team, consider if you're delegating enough, I guess, which is hard to do, because. I think a lot of us who are in charge at some level, we're comfortable with being in charge. We're comfortable with knowing that it's getting done right because we're doing it. You know, the old saying, you want it done, something done right, do it yourself, which is 
ironically often said by villains in in educate in in entertainment in movies and tv (laughs) but but like you know the the it's it's hard to to let go it's so hard to let go when you want it done right and often the stakes unfortunately are extremely high as we saw with texas tech did not submit the roster sorry can't go to nationals like that's it it's it you know like you know the you know so that that, it plays into the resources factor Mm -hmm. what does how can we help texas tech in that situation having a point of contact making sure that they know or having them know the resources here is your thing with dealing with usq it's right there it's in black and white it's in ink texas if we give it to texas tech they have it they don't have to search their website Mm -hmm. they literally just have to be like there it is and that's where that comes in right you know and that's where those things you know resources is important and the other biggest thing that's huge is getting being you know having willingness from direct help from older players mm-hmm. i think we're at the point where asking college teams to try to do this on their own when they have potential resources at their disposal just doesn't make sense anymore it's you know you're not forced to do it on your own while you can if you'd like it doesn't fully make sense always you know what what's better to have a team that is trying to figure out all this stuff on their own or just have a coach who does at least one thing for you or manages one thing for you who can handle a little bit and this coach is a community player who's been playing for a long time just having that little thing, having one person who's been a community player, who's been around to help and guide an individual team, just from an individual standpoint, like it, like if we can get them resources and get teams and points, like and get like community players who want to help and get them in contact with college teams who would like help, it's just going to see more success for those college teams. I mean, we want those college teams to be successful and it's going to be easier to be successful. You have someone like Liz, who's there on the sideline or they're doing at least something to help. Yeah. I I had one of my rookies ask me at practice this week, like, oh, Liz, how long have you been coaching? I'm like, I've been coaching as long as you've been playing. She's like, oh, you're really good at it. I'm like, no, no, I'm not. I, I, I like, I was kind of floored, but then I went home and thought about it, you know, pat myself on the back a little bit. You know more than the typical, if you're a community player that's been playing for years, you know more than the typical freshman just starting out. You can help more than you realize. And even if you do a little bit, that's something somebody else doesn't have to do. Like if you are, exactly, if you're there, if if you're doing what you're doing, Liz, if someone's able to do what you're doing, and just coach a team, you know, the game manager, you help them at practices, Bam, you are doing more than enough for them. You are already doing, taking a load off their shoulders that they don't, that these players don't need to worry about. And they can focus their energy on the other type of things and use the resources that they have if we're able to give them that. That's why these things are so important. And so for me, the biggest thing is to help college teams. It's resources and like physical, actual help. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and I think talk, on the resources, oh, sorry, Alejo, go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that that I'm in a uniquely privileged position because I'm uh, I'm the coach for our team, but I'm actually faculty, like what what just what Harry mentioned earlier. I'm faculty at Victoria College, so I retain institutional memory. Like I'm 
as long as I'm here and I'm not here in two years and done or three years or four years and done, like I'm here, you know, assuming I get tenure for potentially the rest of my life. And, and that's something that most sports like have, most sports have a paid or volunteer faculty who's coaching, who retains institutional memory. How often do you hear of a football team having to fill out their own paperwork to, to go to a, to a game? Like, I mean, that's a club sports thing. I actually am a big advocate over, of club sports over D1 sports, um, especially at my school, where San Jose State's a D1 school, not that you would know our football team is terrible. Um, but I think being a club sport is where you learn, like, leadership and all those skills they say you learn as a D1 athlete, but I don't think you do. You just learn to be a really good athlete as a D1 athlete. D- um, D- the sport is not a D1 sport. Quidditch is not objective. No. Yeah. D one sport. So, yeah, let's not, not compare that way. Quidditch, in and of itself, shouldn't even try to get there at this point. No. Quidditch, at its best, is a club sport. We are on the same path as Alderman Frisbee, which was also on the same path as lacrosse. And as long as we grow from here, we will do the same thing that Frisbee did, and the same, and hopefully the same thing lacrosse did. They're the same type of sports. They're grassroots sports that started up, exploded in colleges and kept growing from there. The goal is to keep growing from here, and the way to do that is through colleges, and that's what we need to do right now. That's the you know, point of this podcast. And so we don't even need to worry about D1 sports. Club sports is perfect. I mean, you're seeing that, like, lacrosse is now in a bunch of universities, but that's been after, like, what, 70 years? Like, or, like, 50, 50-something years? Like, we're talking about that. Nowhere near close, and it shouldn't even be thinking on that level. If your team is a club sport team, fantastic. That is more amazing than you could possibly think of. That's awesome. Lots of teams are just clubs. Like, <laughs> and there's nothing wrong with that. It's just, it doesn't matter either one. Yeah. Every school is different. Every school sees Quidditch in a different way. But if you play club sport, you get that legitimacy that I think Quidditch craves. Absolutely. Yeah, and the uh, the and so that going back a little bit to what I was talking about, the institutional memory that that my team has the luxury that I'm now. Of course, I don't like to do everything myself. I always try and I have very fortunate to have a a student who stepped up and became captain, not just in name but really truly, you know, helping me with with everything with communicating to the team and stuff. But I still have to do a lot of stuff myself that I can handle doing because you know I'm not twenty; I'm thirty three. It's kind of a difference there. And so, you know, having, having someone who just is familiar, this is, that's the thing. Quidditch is so much to get used to. Like, I mean, just the same, just when you get on the field for the first time, people just look lost, you know, and that's, and that's normal. That's part of the sport. You know, it takes, you know, a a while to get used to how it works. It's the same thing with the coaching, the recruiting, talking, it's just talking to people. You know, like if you find you if you've ever find that extroverted person, you know, like who wants to play Quidditch, you know, they hang on to them. They are probably a big resource just in and of themselves that they like to talk to people because a lot of Quidditch nerds are introverts, myself included. Mm-hmm. And it's just convenient yeah. to have someone who wants to talk to people and loves to explain the sport over and over and convince people to come out and try and. You know, it doesn't feel awkward convincing people to spend their their weekends driving out to 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 ride around on a on a PVC stick. Yeah. 
Um, if we want to go bigger picture, since we're kind of talking about institutional knowledge, that's where yeah. I think like conferences really shine because not everyone who plays Quidditch actually played in college. A bunch of my teammates didn't. Um, but if you are in like if you're running a conference or you're part of that group that is helping run one, what Harry was saying like he's not sure what the regional coordinators do and everybody does it different. A conference co uh, commissioner is just a regional coordinator. Um, with a smaller amount of teams to serve, which means he can do a better, or she can do a better job, um, but also more power, because you kind of organize a season. Every conference works differently, of course. Um, and I definitely noticed when I stopped being the NCQC commissioner halfway through last year, I came back this year and I realized I didn't know Stanford's leadership at all. And that's just from missing like one year of them not having a commissioner who was like in touch with them. And they didn't have enough players signed up to have seven players at the deadline, which is something that had never happened before. So just one year can make a difference. 100%. I mean, the the factor that when you go to bigger picture, the biggest thing that's going to help college teams is getting games. And the easiest way to get games is, while tournaments are great, and especially with what the league is heading toward with the at-large bid system, getting consistent games – and yes, having a consistent commissioner, we have the same thing up here in Massachusetts. Um, we have the MQC, the Massachusetts Quidditch Conference, which myself and Curtis Stoichoff are running right now. And and Emily Hickmont ran before that. It, having that just allows more of these college teams. This is one of the reasons why we've been able to expand teams, like bring why a team like Middlebury has been able to come as big as we're able to get them games in a certain simple, easy way in a local area where they're all able to play constantly be able to get game, be able to get that in, give them tournaments that they're able to attend that's just for them, um, and giving them something to work for with a conference championship, getting something that, that really builds upon itself, yeah, and where you have the resource of a commissioner acting as an RD who's basically able to help and bug them about what they need to do for USQ or just help them become better teams, and just someone who, some way to get more games, get, other than relying on getting invited to tournaments or getting to a certain tournament here and there. If you can get a place to get consistent games, that's more, just as, that's just as, or if not more important than going to tournaments, because in the end, that's what's going to truly help you is just getting games and getting as many games as possible. And it also puts framework, uh, Quidditch in a framework people understand, like people, some of my friends still don't get why I spend several weekends a year running around on a broomstick or being in charge of people who are doing the same. But when you say, oh, um, we finished second in the conference, that's something people get. That's something schools get. Yeah. And it, yeah. It, it is that smaller goal. Like, that's why when I started NCQC, I put the championship after nationals because my first, my second year playing at San Jose State, we didn't have the conference yet. We didn't qualify for nationals. So we basically stopped playing after February. We played in Cinco de Mayo Cup for funsies, but that was like three months where we didn't care and we didn't practice. So we were even further behind the following year compared to the teams that qualified. So that's why having a championship at the end, yeah, the team that won it also went to nationals, but it gave you something to fight for. It was like, oh, well, we got to finish third in the conference or fourth or second, whatever. That's something your school gets. Like, I know for San Jose State's club sports program, they always ask us, like, how we're doing, what wins, what our ranking is, because that's how they sell the club sports program to the greater school in general. They want to see you doing well. So if you give them more things to do well at, things like Consolation Cup, um, 
I started something at state called Best Coast Classic, wherein we invited all the West and Northwest teams that didn't qualify. The first year it was huge. Um, we had USC and Black Tips come, not knowing that it would be the last tournament, I think, officially for either of them. Last year it was much smaller, but it gave San Jose State their first tournament win since I had started playing for them. And I was kind of mad at them because, like, why couldn't you have won when I was on the team? But anyway, not the point. <laughs> Give, like, making those smaller things. Because, like, what Harry was talking about way earlier, someday, hopefully, we have so many teams that not everybody goes to nationals and that's okay. But they have other things to go win and accomplish. Because losing sucks. I'm probably going to leave this sport with a losing record and that's okay. But, yeah. But I want to win spectrum that losing sucks for literally everyone and again and I'm, this is even bigger picture in this one there will be teams who lose games like there will be teams who lose more games than win games there will be teams who don't make nationals this is something that honestly is a good thing as weird as that sounds oh it is it's a good thing but like let's make things for those teams to like like NIT, right? The team that wins NIT still is worse than all the teams that got invited to the big dance, but they want something. Absolutely. That's what that's what I'm saying. It's like it's good if we have teams who get their asses kicked who aren't very good or are struggling and and it means we have teams. We have teams who are able to see that spectrum, the top elite and the bottom. And the whole nationals is supposed to be for the best teams. Mm-hmm. Consolation Cup is that next grouping of tier teams, and then having conference championships in different places to get games, games or your best West next best West tournament where it's oh, games, kind of barber one, whatever. <laughs> what? Sorry, you know what I meant. Like the Southwest is always on the bottom of the bracket tournament. Those type of tournaments where it's focused on the teams who don't make nationals or don't qualify who don't qualify, who aren't making Constellation Cup, and letting them get games and letting them get wins against their level of competition. And, that, and, that's, and, that's, the- and that's important because sports is a very, it's a human endeavor. We need to, for people to want to play, to want to come back, we want to create an attraction for people. Like people, you know, even if they join the team and the team's not very good, you want there to be games that are even you want to play against other teams that are at a similar level so that you feel the competitiveness, you feel that you matter, you feel that the game matters because you never know next year that person suddenly is much better. They go up to, they bring in their friends, they suddenly the team gets better. Teams should rise and fall and yes. and players rise and fall. Like the best players from bad teams can still go on to be on good teams. Like, and that's and that's an integral part of growing the sport. And, you know, having more teams will always be better. Like, there's never, like, I mean, except in weird, unusual cases where a team is full of cheaters, having more teams is always good. Like, you know, that's that's what the sport needs. And and another thing that also helps, like, because, again, from we, we, we who are on the inside of Quidditch, we're kind of used to Nationals, Consolation Cup, Regionals, et cetera, like, people on the outside looking in kind of looking from a different perspective it's better like like it was mentioned earlier to have things like oh a conference okay i know what that is like the team the sport i follow has a conference like another thing that really helps is rivalry games rivalry games are huge like everyone like you know gets excited for a rivalry game you know like 
Uh, and it's a good you to sell your team, and that turns into recruitment. Absolutely. To do that, also, big sweep, and they love that shit. Oh, yeah. yeah. To do that, though, you need all the major big colleges to have teams. True. You know, you still have sections <laughs> of the country that don't have that because rivalry games are meant are, – are not – you know, you're going to have your own mini rivalries against teams. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, certain teams are going to have rivalries against others. Like, University of Maryland, when I was there – like we were in all in like a D one sports. One of our rivals that we saw is was Duke, but Duke wasn't even near our Quidditch level. So it didn't really matter, mm-hmm. but that changes. You're going to, you develop your rivals with teams. And so you develop your Quidditch rivals. But I remember playing Duke and I was still literally more hyped than in any game that I played in a long time that playing them when we got the chance to play Duke or UNC or in a team, that we were rivals with. And we were like, this is our school's rival being able to play yeah. your school's rival. So like, again, that is expanding over. We want to have all those big school teams because they already have those. You get those rivalry games naturally. Like, mm, yeah, naturally those exist in it taps into existing school. energy. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I wish Fresno of- state had a team because they're a rival, but they don't San Jose state. It still blows my mind that San Jose state, is the only California State University with an official USQ team. Hopefully Sacramento State joins us because it's a 30-school system. Meanwhile, the UCs are like 12 schools, I think, and you have Cal, you have UCLA, you have UCI. I feel like I'm forgetting one. We used to have Riverside and kind of Santa Barbara, and they're gone. But it blows my mind that it's a 30-school system with, like, tons of people and only one school. I can give you the reasoning for that. And it again, it draws into the big school and and the culture that you're looking for. Mm-hmm. So, like the re the most to me, the teams that market the sport better and market athletics better are the larger sports focused schools that have gigantic basketball and football teams. UCLA is a big yes. sports yeah. school. UCAL is a big sports school. Yes, but USC is a big sports school, and look at. But you know what I mean, like. But it helps because you get more yeah. people. As like, I grew up and I like I wanted to go to certain schools. I remember like when I was applying to schools, I wanted to go to a school with big sports because I wanted to watch those sports. I knew I was never going to play them, but I wanted to at least watch them. So like, I had a grouping of schools that I wanted to go to, based off of that being one of my credentials. Like, I remember like my advisor in high school going like, well, Carnegie Mellon would be great. I'm like, well, Carnegie Mellon would be terrible because they don't have sports there. <laughs> That's great. And they're awesome for that. But like, it wasn't going to fit me because I wanted to go somewhere with sports and going somewhere with sports allows a bigger interest. There's now more people who are interested in sports, mm-hmm. which then makes a bigger population of people who are more likely interested in Quidditch, which then allows you to recruit more people. It, it's sort of like that never ending chain of like, it's a. It is something that helps build teams. That's yeah. to me where that. And and a lot of those smaller schools, a lot of the CSUs are commuter schools. Like yeah. oh, and, I go to a yeah. commuter school. I or I went to rather. San Jose State is one. A lot of them are, but a lot of them aren't. You have like Cal Poly is not. San Diego State is definitely not. True. Um, those are schools that I think could have successful teams, but like you have a person who goes to that school who wants to start it, and like sometimes you get lucky. You have a Jamie Luby show up who played in college and is going to grad school. But these days, I don't know. Like, I look at the people starting at least the college teams locally to me, and they're not who you'd call athletes. Um, But we need those people because 
they're like the seed. Is there a way, because one thing that I remember hearing about before was, and I don't remember, this was early on in Quidditch. This was like, I think it was maybe the Middlebury original team. Uh, I think they like traveled around to other colleges in the area and held exhibitions. Yeah, was the college during Quidditch Spring Break or something? Something like yeah. that. Yeah. If you're talking about expanding new programs, I've had, I've seen a few things done that help with expanding new programs. The biggest things that can be done is, yes, having either community teams or college teams being able to go to other schools that don't have teams and sort of hold clinics and, like, mm-hmm. kind of foster a team is a potential way. It's a very difficult way because you're forcing a lot of pressure on teams that are trying to function on their own. So, like, yeah. a college team that's very difficult for for a community team, it's a little bit easier since they are – it's not as difficult for them to – function on their own so having them be able to try to foster a new team is possible well, as one of the things that way you have to have a connection to a school to start a team like you can't because there are a couple universities in the bay area and there's a bunch isn't one of the three quidditch schools and be like let's start a team so they'll kick you right out of there yeah it is it is very difficult because you're getting it is very difficult to start a team university that you have no affiliation yeah, with that you have to be it well that the, then the, then the best strategy you, is sorry so you can help people there if yeah. you already know the in there like you need it's almost like you need the in from someone there <laughs> and exactly it. bring the people in so like that's what like people like and that's what i've seen from it that where we're seeing these new expanded programs is either they just sort of a figure it out on their own and they appeared out of nowhere <laughs> like i just saw university of iowa pop up out of nowhere i'm like that came that came out of blue that's great but again you it doesn't seem like anyone did it that i know of did anything to cause it it just sort of happened and that's a great that's amazing that shows the growth in the midwest that's awesome because the midwest is a huge college region Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but a lot of the time it does require a person with quidditch knowledge or just who wants to start the sport gets it going and then either that person already has quidditch knowledge and they start up or they find a way to get the resources. I see it usually from a community player who goes to it. Jamie Luby, UC Irvin, um, yeah. Jamie, um, Chris Noble at Wisconsin, mm-hmm. Curtis Taylor at Creighton, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. There's a multitude of people who've done that sort of thing. And that's really, really helpful to do. And that's what really expands those programs. And if you can get that in, that's really the most important thing because there are tons of people who want to help. And it is very difficult if you don't have that person there. But if we can get those people there who want to do it, that's what's important. Yeah. And I think, yeah, definitely. Like, I think the best way to sum it up is that you can't expect community players to start a new team just because there's a school nearby. But I think as community players, it is kind of honest. If we hear a school is starting a team, then we need to look into it and we need to be that first person there. We need to be the support. Mm-hmm. We need to be their support. Yes, absolutely. Yes. We can't and- do the job. And one thing that that helps is just reach something as simple as just reaching out, just sending a Facebook message or friend request or something like that, because, you know, like it's hard to to message. I mean, I'm 33 and it's hard for me to message people out of the blue. Like I do it because I, I, I want something bad enough that I'm willing to do it. That I'm willing to message people out of the blue to ask questions about tournaments or to ask people to come onto this podcast or to ask for other resources. Like 
I'm willing to do it, but it's hard. And so I like to, to, sorry, what? I guess we're different personalities. I find it not hard at all, but lucky you aren't you lucky. I want to want to take a guess as to, to which of us, most of these people starting quiz teams are more like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm an extroverted crazy person, so I don't really care what, when I mess with people. So that's, well, it's just, I'm sorry. I just that's a resource. That's a valuable resource I'm in and of itself. I recruited someone riding the bus to school one day. So hey. I peaked. That was, my, that is still my favorite recruiting story. Hi, Andy. I hope you're listening. Yes. <laughs> but uh, the, 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 just that reaching out facilitated and, and absolutely if, if we can, you know, if there are extroverted knowledgeable Quidditch people, they should be the ones to reach out, to locate, to, you know, say, hey, you know, we're here for this. And, and again, going back to your earlier comment on specialization, knowing who to go to for what information is, it would really, you know, that can really strengthen the community and give a lot of resources that we don't currently offer. Um, you know, so I don't know. The, when I started howtoplayquidditch.org uh, earlier this year, or maybe it was now, yeah, it was earlier this year, I, uh, one of the things I did, I wanted it to be a resource even for someone who was like, oh, Quidditch is a real sport? I didn't know that. Like, here, let me Google how to play Quidditch, and hopefully it would show up, and it says right on there, like, list of teams in your area. And, like, it has a link to the USQ, like, teams map, and has a list of all of the NGBs, like, but there could be so much more. And I, I think that could possibly be one way to try and go about this, to have a centralized hub. Like, I'm volunteering. Yeah. Find all the conferences. If you could do a Google Maps overlay with, like, the area they more or less cover, and then people look at that, they're like, oh, I'm in here. I need to track this thing down. Yeah. You know, like I, I don't. I'm not saying it has to be how to play quest.org, but I I would be willing to help go through the trouble of trying to make that a a resource that people can just go to to also have yeah, the. Not, sorry. Sorry, I was just saying, like not every area is covered by a conference, though. Like yeah. someday, you never know. Hopefully. But I still think that's a valuable tool. Yeah. And and also, um, we didn't even get into like the financials and stuff necessarily, like, but like that's something that someone that that people should be able to share their wisdom on and how to handle team finances, how to recruit because you can yeah. find someone to do a fundraising podcast with. Oh I my would god! To that. Oh my god! Yes, we tried to do a fundraiser once. It it. I mean, if you yeah. want to bring me back on, I will talk. And I think the other best person is Jenna Bullwig for a recruitment yes. one. That's true. Um, Texas State recruitment po podcast i would do it again um that's a good i mean like that's the thing is i mean at least for myself i'm going to be i'm starting to try to find a way to you know collect a group of resources that and find a way to develop a thing of resources from a bunch of people to hand out to college teams and trying to make it as public as possible so all these things i've talked about is basically what i'm looking to try to start doing i've already started trying to perfect a route at least my having my recruiting strategies in there to be used. Mm -hmm. I'm be contacting people to be sort of building the other ones moving forward. Do you need a because website? That, for me, <laughs> my goal is moving forward is just to grow this sport. And I think resources are the first step. Absolutely. Do you need the website? Do you want to use how to play quidditch.org? Um, I am I am okay. Um, I may at one point contact you for it. Okay, I'm totally putting you on the spot, so feel free to, to not like <laughs> be go along good. with it. Don't worry, I am always on the spot and do not care. 
<laughs> Excellent. All right. Uh, any any final thoughts from uh, from Harry or Liz on this? I feel like this has been very. I I think it's been a very productive conversation. And I hope the listener agrees. These are my final thoughts. We as community players need to find a way to help college teams, and so everyone I think needs to do their part. And I think the first steps have to be from an individual basis. I think we need to you know find a way to support your college local college team whether that be in coaching or sending advice to who and then from or expanding to a new program. If you have affiliation at school or you're able to manage something to get an expansion to a new school. And then from a bigger picture, you know, and I'm going to be doing a lot of effort with this, either working with conferences and being commissioners and developing conferences. That's one of the things I'm doing or building the resources and then finding a way to get these to all the teams within the Quidditch community, whether it be official, unofficial, any college team, that way they're able to get what they need to be able to be a functioning stable team. And then moving forward, we can go with that. I think my closing thought for people, it's like, you don't have to do everything as a community player. Like, do one thing. Like, when Alejo mentioned, like, way earlier in the podcast that he came with San Jose State practice and Andrew was there, like, we've had, like, community players come to San Jose State practice and, like, help us with things. They've never officially been our coach or anything like that. But getting one-on-one attention from an experienced player will change a rookie player's uh, entire trajectory. Absolutely. I became a beater because one of the Scroots beaters at the time, Chelsea Davis, was at one of my first practices and said I was doing well at it, and I believed her. <laughs> one small thing, you have no idea how much you can change someone. Mm. I like that. That's true. That's that's good wisdom right there. We don't always we're not always aware because we're in our own heads. We're not always aware of what's going on in the the heads of the people around us and how much we're impacting them. So take a chance. Hope that you can make the world a better better place. Make the Quidditch community a better place. All right. <laughs> well, I want to thank. Both, yeah. Sorry. What? Yeah. Oh yeah. Thanks for coming, guys. I really appreciate it. I think this has been a really great conversation. And I'm uh, looking forward to maybe hearing from you guys again on other topics in the future. I'm always, always willing to talk some Quidditch about how to play Quidditch. Not maybe on field would be good, but also, you know, how to build a better Quidditch community that we're all a part of. Unless we retire. I am much better at the off-pitch stuff than the on-pitch stuff. So, (laughs) you know me. Yeah. Fair, fair, you know. Um. Well, I'm going to get some dinner because I put that off. So you guys have a wonderful night, and I will talk to you all later. Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Liz. Thanks, Harry. All right, and thanks to all our listeners for listening. Signing off for Liz Barcelos and Harry Greenhouse. I'm Alejo Enriquez. Hey, Liz, I got you now because I'm running MQC, and we're doing the same thing. And I'm coaching, so it's like we're (laughs) each other now. Okay. (laughs)